And the way that he can use people in his praise team to their utmost ability, that doesn't come easy, guys. And he does that. And he gathers the whole team back there every week to pray before the services, and it's spiritually good. But not all his conversations back there are good. This morning we were talking about the little toilets that we bought for the children's room. We were talking about little John. And as, as he went through it, he gave a great demonstration of how to use those. Tom, come up and use that now. That wasn't so great. Who knows? You are free. Amen? You have been set free for freedom's sake. There was an agenda that God had. He wasn't like, you'll be free if you go to church every weekend, mid-service mid too. It wasn't that. It's just he wants you to be free. But we get so bound up in the things of this world in the way that we ought to be that freedom almost seems like a, a distant dream for many of us because we're so concerned about how we would look, what will people think, what would, if we did this, how it would be received that we're not free to do those very things. Amen? I can't hear you. Amen? Amen. Not to yell at me. <laughs> free. Now we're doing a thing called Grace Unleashed. Because we really preach grace here. And we believe in grace. And we uh, live it out in our lives. And so we want you to know this grace unleashed and the freedom that comes from that. And when I think about freedom, I think about my brother-in-law's dog. That's it. Let's close in prayer. Okay. No, my brother-in-law's dog is a border collie. He lives down in Wyoming. He's just a great dog. And it was a great dog. And, but he got caged up a lot in his kennel and on a leash and never was really free. But there were certain times when Curtis would go out to the yard, open up the gate, unleash the hook, and that dog was free. That dog acted freer than any dog I've ever seen. From the moment you opened up that cage, he would take off like a shot, and he would run around the house. Same path all the time. He would just run and run and run. Freedom. Right? And that's the way I want to live my life. I want to be free. I don't want to be comforted by a bunch of laws and regulations that hold me back. If I feel like praising the Lord with my hands in the air, that's what I'm going to do. Amen? But we're intimidated. We get shut down a lot. And I want to tell you, tell you we even get cursed a lot. Not like a cursing like someone chewing you out, but a curse is something that isn't so good. And today we're going to talk about the curse of the law and just to see how it fits in with where we're at today. Now last week, Dave did a good job explaining what the law was. You know, first of all, we learned that Dave likes to go 80 miles an hour up the hill. <laughs> he does that. I don't know. You know, no, he was, he was using an illustration that said you could go 80 but it's not safe. It's not safe for other people. It's not safe for the community. So they make certain laws that we abide by, hopefully, you guys do, that keeps us all safe, right? 
But the law is much more than that. The law was set up because it's good for you. Did you know that? All these things that God said was good for you. And if you practice them, your life will be better, exponentially better. I found that out when I was first married. I'd watch my wife as she kept these rules, and, and that was dear to her heart. I was just a rebellious kid, 19, 20-year-old kid who wanted to run free, and I found out I ran into a lot of roadblocks because of that. And I found out something really strange. Now, you guys listen to this because maybe you'll glean something from it. The law of God works. Ah, that's a shock, isn't it? It works. And they were set up for our good. There was 10 commandments that were given that were for our good. Okay? 600 other laws were enacted by God, and each one of them were for our benefit. If we would follow these rules, if we would follow these laws, everything would be substantially better. We would know where sin is because there's a standard there. There's a law that's there. And when we cross it, when we do things that we weren't supposed to do or don't do things that he told us to do, then we have sin. Okay? So how would we know what sin was if there wasn't a law? So the law is good. Even Jesus came when he was talking on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, the law of God is perfect, and I came to perfect it. Okay? So don't think we're going to abolish this. We're just going to add a layer of grace to it. Right? And grace is really what makes life fun. It makes life worth living. And that's the standard that we're living by. Okay. Can you hear my stomach? I don't know. <laughs> the standard says the law can be divided into two camps. The Greek word nomos. Nomos, that means the Ten Commandments or the 600 other rules found in the Mosaic Law. Those are standards that we should abide by. But there's another word called ethos, and ethos is religious standards or religious regulations or man-made standards. Rules that people put on you or you put on yourself, written and unwritten, and sometimes those unwritten rules are more damaging than any rule that's written down, right? Can you keep them all? Can you keep the law of God perfectly? Because if you violate even one of them, it says you're guilty of them all. And then you have the standards of these, those you're around and how to act and how to behave. And it sounds draining, doesn't it? Now, there are purposes for rules. I know that, uh, you know, we get into a work job and there's, there's certain things that we do there that we don't do other places. That's standard, okay? Like be on time, okay? That's just a standard rule that we got to go by or should go by. I did once. I don't remember. But, you know, we go by that. We go, they're necessary too. But they become very weighty on us. Now, I want you to turn to the book of Galatians, verse, chapter 3, verse 10 through 14, as we talk about this curse found in the law. Okay? Everyone, however, who's involved in trying to keep the law's demands, falls under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law. 
to do them. It is made still plainer that no one is justified in God's sight by obeying the law, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is, a mat- is not a matter of faith at all, but of doing. As, for example, in the Scripture, the man who does them shall live by them. Now Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law's commandment by himself becoming a curse for us when he was crucified. For the scripture is plain, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. God's purpose is therefore plain, that the blessing promised to Abraham might reach the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, and the Spirit might become available to all by faith. Let's pray. Mighty God and Father, thank you for your words, and thank you for your commandments, and thank you for your law. We know that it's good, but boy, I tell you, it is also very weighty. And it's impossible for us to keep those laws. Help us. God, we know that's our standard. These laws and these expectations that people put on us, I know that can kind of drag some people down, but help us to remember how much you love us. And God, as we talk about the curse, that you became a curse. Your son, Jesus. Help us to truly understand what that means and to abide in you because you are faithful and you love us. We pray in your precious name. Amen. Now, the curse in this passage of Scripture probably could be translated into sin. That's it, you know, because who bore our sins? Jesus Christ. And he was hung on a tree, right, for our sake, for ourselves, so that I could have hope. That's what all this saying, but if you try to live by those, you have to keep every one of them. And if you don't, you're guilty of them all. It says in the book of Galatians, in fact, anyone, you know, if the, anyone could gain uh, eternal life through, by doing the law, then Christ died for nothing. In other words, we're all sinners. We all need Jesus Christ. That's an amen. Right? It is. It's not something I'm proud of. But in this, he calls it a curse. And I looked up in the Bible to see what, in the dictionary to see what curse meant. A curse is a harsh thing. Dictionary defines a curse as an appeal to a supernatural power to inflict harm on someone or something, a cause of harm or misery. And from these definitions, it's clear that a curse is not something that is desirable. It brings harm, misery, pain, and suffering. It is the opposite of a blessing, which is more desirable. No one is right mind will seek to be cursed. Well, that's an obvious thing that it's not desirable, and we do want God's blessing. Now, I look in the Bible to see, well, this word curse seemed awful harsh, so I thought, well, maybe is this the first time? No, it wasn't. We see that the serpent, uh, he enticed Adam and Eve to take of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and here's the result. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Adam, the first man, bought sin into the world because he listened to his wife and ate the forbidden fruit. The Lord told him, 
Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Is that true? It is true. And some of the curses that are rained down in the Bible happen immediately like this one. Uh, for example, when Elisha was jeered by some youth. Now, Elijah was a prophet of God, and he was also a bald man, okay? And he had all these kids. There was a gang of kids following him, and his friend Elijah had been taken up to heaven, and they were taunting him and says, you go up too, bald man. You go up too. And so here's what Elijah did. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them by the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youth. That's a wonderful bedtime story for your kids. <laughs> All right. So don't make fun of bald people, I guess, is the lesson. Some curses do not manifest immediately, but their effects can nevertheless be devastating. In the scripture says, in the morning, here's Jesus, as they were went along, they saw a fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you curse has withdrawn, has withered. You see, curses, they're not good. We don't want them. And so we want the law to be what it was intended to be, is good and it's, all the, and it's life-giving. But the way we've interpreted, the way we live our life, it's harmful. So when he's talking about the curses of the law, what is he talking about in the book of Galatians? What is he saying? So, I, you know, I put together a list that I think maybe this is what he's saying. One of the curses of the law is perfection. Right? It's perfection. It doesn't matter if it's God's law, the law of others, or your own law. If you believe you have to keep these standards in order to be okay, perfection is the only way to be sure, right? That's it. James 2.10 says, Forever keeps the whole law, and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of it all. Even when we think something is perfect, we find out how flawed it really is. Now, I was going to Bible college, you know, and I had four kids, and my car was breaking down, and someone gave me a car. Yay! And I thought, this would be a huge blessing, and the car got delivered, and it was a beautiful car. It was a Thunderbird. I don't remember what year. It strikes me like it was 70-something. This thing was shiny purple and with a white top. Eh, I looked good in it, you know. So I thought, perfect, perfect, perfect. The only problem was if you tried to drive in it, okay? It became a huge problem because what would happen is it would stall out in the middle of a road and... For the life of me, for a while, I couldn't figure it out. Then I figured this out. If you take off the air cleaner, set it aside, hold the butterfly open in the, uh, in the carburetor, then it would clear itself out, and it would start beautifully. Then you put the air cleaner back on, you get in the car, and you drive away. Well, we were on a busy intersection in Gehring, Nebraska, and you asked yourself, how busy an intersection could that be? Uh, there was a couple wagons or something. I don't know. But... I was driving, right? And I took off from the saw sign and boom, it died. I knew what the problem was, so I jumped out of the car. I had my wife get out. She ran around to the driver's side. Right in the way, we're in the middle of traffic, y'all. And I'm just scurrying around. I, but I didn't tell you another problem with this car. There's only one problem. The other problem was 
It's the only car I've ever seen do this. If you were in drive, it not only would start, it would go. Okay? That's a problem. So anyway, so I get over there, and I'm quick like a bunny. I'm getting that air filter off, and I hold down that carburetor butterfly, and I say, hit it. And my wife hit it. Well, the problem was when I jumped out of the car, I didn't put it in park. It was in drive. That means it started and it was moving. Now, I want you to know this really, that my wife couldn't see where she was going because the hood was up. Okay? And I certainly couldn't see where I was going because the end that was facing traffic has no eyes and I was in big trouble. And you can tell my wife, she ran me over, okay? That was it. So was it, a, was it a blessing? Was it a curse? That car ended up being a curse, and my wife and I were talking, we don't know what we did with it. Oh, I'd let you drive it <laughs> on your own hazard. But that's what it is. It's not, there's hardly anything perfect. Hardly a day goes by that you can say, that was a perfect day, right? That was a perfect day. I had perfect moments in a day, like, I took my kids up to Yellowstone and my wife and I put them at this one edge of the river and the kids were playing, they were laughing, they were having fun. I walked around, around the bend, same river, and I began to fly fish and I was catching fish. While I was fly fishing, this herd of elk came and just bedded down around me. And I said, is this the coolest thing in the world or what? How long did that last? Five, ten minutes? Nothing's perfect. And you're certainly not perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. And there's no way I could keep every law or regulation that's required of me. And when I fail in those things, certain things happen. You follow? And the first thing that happens, it's on my notes over here, come on, is judgment. Judgment. We, we condemn ourselves for it. We said, oh, man, I wish I could have. I could have done better. I should have done better. What does it matter with me? Judgment on others. I begin to look at not my stuff, but I can see your stuff pretty clear, and I can make judgments on that. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, right? Because now I don't feel about so bad about the stuff I'm not doing because I got your stuff to look at. Right? Here's another thing it produces in us. Comparison. Comparison. We compare ourselves with ourselves. In other words, I'm better than you. I'm better than you. Well, I'm not so good there, so I better not look that way. You know, we just keep comparing. And in ministry, that's kind of a death knell. Because in ministry, instead of being happy that the Word of God is being spread, that the Word of God is being preached, you want the credit for it. In other words, I did this. I did that. Why? Because I need to know I'm okay. You could have the worst week in your life. You could have everything go wrong. And then you start a newsletter that you have to write with, what a great week in ministry. Right? You're not going to tell them the truth. Once it'd be fun. My week really stunk. And, you know, you go through the things. But you don't. You compare yourself. And then all of a sudden, maybe you're okay you're not so okay. Okay? Where did we learn to do that? I think it was with Adam and Eve. They took of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and the fruit of that was judgment. 
and we're always judging everything, how someone looks, how they talk, judgment and comparisons. Okay, and then distorted image of who God is and who you are. And that becomes a real problem when you don't understand the true, living, active God, that he loves you, that he delights in you, that he wants you, that he has forgiven you, right? I had people come into my office that have been serving faithfully for 40, 50 years, at the end of their life, so to speak, and they come to me and they say, you know, Bob, I don't know where I'm going when I die. And I said, what do you mean? I go, I don't know if I'm going to heaven or I'm going to hell. And I go, don't you love the, the Lord and haven't you given your life to him? Yeah, but I mess up all the time. You see what I'm saying? That's a distorted view. And it's a distorted view of who you are. Because when I asked for forgiveness, I received that. Okay? It wasn't a special thing for Bob, as I'll talk about it later, but it was for all of you. And it's true and it's good. Okay? Second thing, it arouses sinful flesh. Now, this would be hard for some of you to know, or even imagine, I suppose, is that I got a little bit of a weight problem, you know, so what I'll do is I'll get on a diet, and it doesn't matter which one, it could be South Beach, it could be Atkins, it could be seafood, that's the one I usually like, I say seafood and I eat it, but whatever the diet you're on, that's where I'll start, and I'll start the day with, I'm really going to stick to this diet, I'm going to get myself in shape, and I'm going to be buff, and I'm going to be handsome, and well, maybe not handsome, but I, I really want to get there. And here, the morning of the first day of my diet, what am I thinking about the whole day? Eating. I think of donuts. That's it. I say, donut. I can't have donuts, but boy, that would, that would taste pretty good. So because I'm on a diet, I take donuts without sprinkles, you see, and then I'm okay. But it arouses that desire to have donuts. In the same way, if, we, uh, if we're going and we're committed to not sinning, you're going to do everything in your power not to sin. Okay, I, I don't want to sin. I don't want to sin. And what does it do? It arouses those desires to do the very thing that you're trying not to do. Okay? And we go through life this way where we don't want to do it, but I do it, and then we feel bad because we did it. And where does that lead? It leads into defeat instead of victory. Okay? I don't want to, I don't want to eat so much, so I'm on a diet. I want, to, I want food. That's all I want is food. And all you want to do is that very thing you're trying not to do. Okay? See, I had that problem a few years ago. I was working in a church that was really governed by laws. I don't say too much about the church because I love the people of that church. And I love, for the most part, working there, but it was all consuming. And I, didn't, I wasn't what they wanted. And so I try really hard. And then an elder would call me into his office. And he'd say things like, 
you know, we're going to be a church of 750 pretty quick, Bob. Okay, yeah. And he goes, and quite frankly, you're not the one to get us there. So I'd go back to my office, determined I was going to be this guy who could bring a church to 750 people. Why? Why? That was the standard that we put on people, and it wasn't necessary. It wasn't helpful to anybody. It just made me feel bad. And so I would prove that I was this guy, and I'd work longer hours, and I'd do more youth events, and I'd just, I would be Superman when it came to being a youth minister, but it was never enough. And they always rejected me. And for 10 years, I think the worst sin that they did to me, I don't even know this, so it's the worst sin they did to me. They took 10 years of my life trying to make me something that I'm not. And don't ever do that to anybody. I really believe that when you stop wanting people to be perfect, you'll like them just for who they are. But as long as you're expecting perfection, you're never going to get that. And so I tried to please them. I wasn't pleasing them. I had success in the youth ministry. Then I didn't. And you'd always try to hide it. And what I did, because I felt like they didn't like me because I was worthless, then I sought pleasure apart from God. And I sinned. I knew I was wrong. I knew it was wrong to do that. And it doesn't matter what it was. I'm sure what you're thinking will fit. But it's very hurtful to me, to my wife, to my kids, to everyone who loves me. And all I was trying to do is gain life that I was missing so bad because the regulations were so hard I couldn't keep them. So I quit that church, went to another church, quit that church, and came here, and then I got busted. I didn't do anything here. It's what I got busted for, not doing anything. <laughs> No, I came here, and then the elders here had to deal with me. Okay? I felt bad about that. I felt really bad about that. But I really respected the elders because I thought, well, they'll give me a slap on the wrist, and then they'll say, don't do that again. And I'll say, I won't, and off I go into Happyville or something. But no, they said, we think you should resign. That about floored me and my world fell apart. Now, I say that knowing full well, even when they said that, I knew it was right that they said that. I knew it was right to do. And as a matter of fact, it was the best thing for me is not to be in the ministry for a, for a little bit. That little bit turned into five, six years. Okay? And then I, kind of the point of departure was a point of return for me. And I got back in and started going. But, I feel like I was a better minister because of those five, six years. Okay? Only part-time I entered in. I still feel like a lot of times I haven't re recovered from that. Why? Well, it revealed a lot about me. Because this part of me that was sinning kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And God kept getting smaller and smaller and smaller until those worlds had to collide. There was no choice. And what led me, my depression led me into a depression that was clinical and it lasted about five years. 
Okay? I'm not proud of it. I didn't like it, except for this. My depression led me to the very cross of Jesus Christ, and that is not a bad journey at all. See? And so I got caught here for something I did somewhere else. This is a church that showed me grace, what grace was all about. And the law might say, yeah, stone him, crucify him, do this. But they said, let's love him. And they loved him. That first Sunday, I walked through the door. After I resigned, I was embarrassed, and I was broken, and I was bawling. That's a good combination, you know. So I come in, and I sit right over there, and Dan Haggerty came up to me, put his arm around me, and loved on me. And everybody did. Not one person didn't. That's good. I don't ever want you to stop that because that's what God would have done. That's what Jesus would have done. But I can't forgive myself. That's the hard part. Because here I was, this minister saying, well, you're forgiven. I, I give you all this, you know. Oh, you did that? Well, I'm sure you're sorry, so you're forgiven, right? I didn't have any problems talking about the grace message, but when it came to forgiveness, I couldn't accept it for myself. I finally had to submit my will to it. I am forgiven. And God just opened up the floodgates and forgave me. And that is what he wants to do for you. Because I know how signature sin works. I know how, the, how he gets you trapped. And you, you look at it and you say, I will never, ever do that again. And you mean it. I will never do that again. The next day, you're doing it again. And you're doing it again. And you're doing it again. And you can't understand, where is my power? Well, the power's not in you anyway. It's in the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? That's why you got to turn to God. That's why you got to use him. No matter what that sin is, no matter what you're thinking, because it'll fit, he wants to love you and forgive you. Stand with me, would you? Mighty God and Father, thank you for your love. And I... Thank you that you became the curse for us, that you hung on our cross, that you died for my sins and for every one of sins here. And in that, I can't even begin to say thank you. But God, more than that, you loved us. While we were enemies, you loved us. While we were enemies, you gave your life for us. You felt the sting of every one of my sins and every one of everybody else's. I don't understand that kind of love, but I'm thankful for it. God, for each one that's here, I just pray that they can turn to you for strength. They can turn to you to get over this, these curses that are the law and just walk in freedom. God, you are good. And it's in your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen.